The season is officially done and it's time that we had a look at some of our favourite and most interesting moments from the F1 2023 season, as well as having a look back at our predictions for one last time this year. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah and today we are going to be having a chat about the 2023 Formula 1 season. That's right, it's time for a season review or at least part one of a season review. This is the penultimate episode for the steward's office this year. And for the season review, I opted to split it into two parts. So today we're going to be talking about some of the best and most interesting moments from this Formula One season, as well as the predictions that we all made right at the start back in January, February time. And then part two, we're going to be having a look at the teams, the driver head-to-heads and how the drivers themselves had performed over the year. And then after that, I am taking a two-week break just to enjoy Christmas and spend some time with the family. There will still be content over on my social media channels, so Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office, but no podcast episode for two weeks before I come back at the beginning of January 2024 for season two. But let's get right into the season review. I'm going to just start off with some of the main moments I wanted to talk about, some of the main things that stood out for me. And then I sent out a Google form asking you guys for your opinions on the season. So we'll have a chat about what your favorite moments were, your most controversial moments and your most WTF moments. And then we'll have a look at what the predictions were that we made at the beginning of the season and how many of them came true and how many were actually quite far off. I mean, I don't think I can really talk about 2023 Formula One without pointing out Red Bull's sheer dominance this season. There's no escaping it. I mean, if anyone was to ask me to describe what this season Formula One was like, the easiest way to describe it would be, yeah, Red Bull dominance. To take 21 wins after 22 races for Max Verstappen to take 19 of those 22 wins I mean, I don't think there is really another team that has done that quite recently. This is a car. The RB19 is just continuously getting better and better. Singapore was really the only blip in the season for them. That's when they lost that full winning streak that they could have had this season. It just wasn't a track that really suited their car. But to turn around and say there was only one track that they wouldn't fully tuned into one track that didn't fully suit their car is incredible you've got to admit it's just been such a clean cut season for Red Bull in terms of the car that they brought in from testing the upgrades that they've brought in the pit stops that the mechanics have carried out the setups that they've made throughout free practices going into qualifying into sprint weekends everything has pulled together so so well for them the team are functioning at such a high level they continuously are just getting stronger and stronger and it's such a good sort of bouncing board for them to jump off of now going into next season. And I know that Max has spoken about the 2024 car development. He said, yeah, there are weaknesses to this car and we aren't saying it's the absolute perfect Formula One car. Singapore was a bit of a weakness for them. I know there have sometimes been times where slow speed corners haven't been their best. They're still dominant in them, but there's always something to improve. And he said, yeah, we know what the weaknesses are in the car and we're working on making those stronger. So they're not resting here. They're not saying, yeah, we've got a really dominant car and we're winning by massive margins and we don't need to do anything. They are constantly trying to find ways to tweak their car, to make it easier to drive, to make it quicker, to make it more dominant. 
So I think for Red Bull, it's just been an absolutely phenomenal year. And like I mentioned, yeah, there is no way we can talk about what happened during the 2023 F1 season without talking about how good of a job Red Bull have done this year with the development of their car. They've really built on what they had in 2022 when the regulations came in. Somehow it got even better and more dominant. I'm very curious to see what 2024 is like for them. Forget about the competition around them, but just them as a team. How much stronger does that car get? How much stronger does Max Verstappen get? Do we see improvements in Sergio Perez and his ability to drive that car? But yeah, Red Bull dominance was literally the first thing I had to talk about going into the season review. Second thing on this list is the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And it wasn't just the Grand Prix weekend, it was everything leading up to it since it was announced in, what, March last year, I think? It's been insanity. The amount of PR and media they've had surrounding Las Vegas has been incredibly insane. Formula One were the promoters for it. This was the first race that they've fully promoted and had a handle on and been able to control what the promotion is like for it. And it was crazy. But there was so much controversy in the run-up to this race that almost overshadowed everything else going into this weekend. We had so many Las Vegas residents that weren't happy with the amount of construction that was being done, about the trees being cut down, about the Bellagio fountains being sort of blocked off for the public to see, about public bridges being covered so nobody could see the racetrack properly, or just tourists in general wanting to see Las Vegas not being able to. There was so so much construction going on in Las Vegas months and months before the Grand Prix and it did disturb a lot of lives for the residents in Vegas and a lot of tourists experience of Vegas. And then going into the Grand Prix weekend, I mean, I think Formula One had seen all the media articles about the controversy and I think in their head they were probably thinking, you know what, we are going to get to the weekend now and nobody is going to care about all the controversy and people being unhappy and all these news articles because it's going to be a spectacle and it's going to be amazing to watch and people just care about the racing then right and we've got this massive opening ceremony and all the rest of it only the opening ceremony for me fell flat because we didn't hear from any of the drivers or anyone in f1 any of the team principals anything like that and then we went into the actual race weekend on the friday british time and i don't think we were expecting drain covers to be an issue i think that's probably one of the biggest controversial moments of this season to be honest with you is yeah the amount of damage that was done to carlos Sainz's car and esteban Ocon's. And like I mentioned in my Las Vegas Grand Prix review, very, very thankful and neither of them got injured. But yeah, that was absolute insanity. And then on top of that, because that caused a red flag where they had to repair all of the drains, well, not repair, but remove them and fill all the holes in with quick drying concrete. It had taken so long for them to do that, that fans were being sent away. So they'd watch 10 minutes of FP1, nothing FP2. And that was it. And for Friday pass holders who only had tickets that Friday, they got sent home. There was no apology in that public statement. And they got given a $200 voucher to spend in the Las Vegas Grand Prix store. I don't know what I was expecting from Vegas. That was not it, let's be honest. I think that was probably one of the most controversial moments of the season for me. Especially, I think, with the fans being turned away and not having a genuine proper apology. I think that is what really irked me the most. And you could tell the Sky F1 presenters were not happy with that either. And a lot of the media outlets that were tweeting about it, that were mentioning it on Instagram, really did point out the fact that, yeah, there was a lack of apology for those fans. 
But before that, there was another controversial race in the Qatar Grand Prix. And as you can tell, these are not in chronological order. My apologies for that. But yeah, Qatar was another slightly controversial race. And it had mixed opinions from ex-drivers, from commentators, from spectators, drivers themselves. There were a lot of mixed opinions on this GP. But let's start off with the fact that Taiwan was absolutely insane in Qatar. The fact they had to have mandated tyre stints which is completely understandable from a safety aspect. I have no issue with the fact that they put that in place, but the fact that we needed to have that in place at all, slightly an issue. And I think the thing that makes it worse is the fact that apparently Pirelli had said months ago before the Qatar GP took place that they didn't think the tyres would be able to withstand the abrasiveness and just the circuit out in La Salle. I mean, that kind of took a lot of strategy out of the Grand Prix. And for safety reasons, I don't mind, but I really hope this is something I get sorted out for next year. I'm personally not a fan of mandated tyre stints when we know that a circuit is very abrasive and that the tyres aren't going to work well there. I think we need to put things in beforehand instead of heading out there. Pirelli saying that the tyres probably wouldn't last, having the drivers go out and do free practice. Pirelli, the FIA, F1, look at the data and are like, oh, yeah, no, we can't have you guys just deciding to run whenever you want to run and then coming into the pits whenever. We'll have to put a mandated tyre stint in. Something needs to be done beforehand. But that at least was sorted. That was a safety issue that was sorted. I'm thankful for that because we didn't have to worry about accidents because of tyre failure. But the controversy didn't really stop there in Qatar because there was just heat exhaustion in so, so many of these drivers. Logan Sargent having to retire during the race because he was feeling that unwell. I think Esteban Ocon and Lance Stroll had complained. One of them was throwing up. One of them felt like he was passing out. We had multiple drivers just saying they really did not feel well in the car. That's absolutely insane to me. And I think this is where a lot of the mixed opinions came in. Because we had drivers saying, no, I still wouldn't stop racing, though. We had Martin Brundle being like, nope, this is an extreme sport and this is how it should be. Formula One itself can be unsafe motorsport can be unsafe we've seen what happens when things go wrong and how bad the consequences can get but i think when we have drivers saying that they are passing out of the wheel that is a huge issue and can be a massive massive safety concern i think we go away from saying this is just an extreme sport to saying this is highly unsafe and irresponsible if drivers are passing out of the wheel because if we did that day to day in our normal road cars it would not be safe, and I'm pretty sure licenses would be taken off of us. So the Qatar GP is moving from where it is in the calendar this year. It's a little bit later on in 2024, so the conditions should be cooler. So hopefully the heat exhaustion that all the drivers were feeling from that race won't be as bad. But yeah, that was just insanity. Hearing some of the stories afterwards, I love Formula 1, but I do not love watching it when drivers are suffering like that. Moving away, though, for a second from all the controversies that have happened this season, we finally got a non-Red Bull win in this season. And it was only one, but we will take it. Carlos Sainz in Singapore. The only time that Red Bull were not standing on the top step of the podium was out in Singapore. And it wasn't a win that I was expecting. In all honesty, I thought Red Bull were going to end up winning every single race this season, which I think is a fair assumption to make considering they're winning races by, you know, sometimes 30 seconds. Even some of the smaller margins are eight seconds. We're not talking about tenths of a second here. So I think it was a completely fair assumption for me to make that they were going to win every single race this season. 
Carlos Sainz, though, put an end to that, said, nope, Red Bull, you are not winning every single race. Ferrari and me are going to win Singapore, and he did it. And not only did Carlos Sainz win the Singapore Grand Prix, he had an absolute tactical masterclass while he was leading the race. He made sure to give Lando Norris enough DRS that George Russell couldn't overtake Norris for P2, but wasn't giving Lando Norris the chance to actually overtake Carlos because Lando was too busy defending from George Russell. It was incredible to watch. That was probably one of my favourite, favourite moments of the season was seeing that sort of DRS cat and mouse game that we saw out in Singapore. Really, really beautiful to watch. One of the highlights of the season for me in seeing that, not just seeing Carlos win, but just seeing those tactics at play as well. But yeah, it was the only time we saw Red Bull not able to win a race. Actually, that was a race that Red Bull didn't even manage to get on the podium. Carlos Sainz got P1, Lando Norris P2, and then Lewis Hamilton in P3 after George Russell ended up crashing out. One of the other absolute highlights of the season for me was watching Lewis Hamilton's pole lap out at the Hungarian GP. Oh my goodness. I have never been so on the edge of my seat for a pole lap before in my life. And I think a lot like Carl Sainz's win in Singapore, it wasn't something I was really expecting. I wasn't going into the Hungarian GP qualifying, thinking Mercedes are going to get on pole, Lewis Hampton is going to get on pole. But it was just this beautiful put-together lap right at the end of qualifying. He was the last car to take the checkered flag as well. And I think that's what made it that little bit more exhilarating, put you a little bit more on edge watching him get his sectors in. It's one of my favourite pole laps to watch from this season. It's Lewis Hamilton's first pole since 2021, so he has been waiting a little while to get another pole position in. But in doing that, he broke his own record of 103 poles and took it to 104. And like I said, yeah, I don't think it was something anyone was really expecting from him or from Mercedes, but he really wrestled with that car to extract the most out of it. It was on edge and he managed to do it. He managed to get just ahead of Max Verstappen and take pole position. But a really, really beautiful, well put together lap to watch. And if there was something I could relive in that moment in 2023, not just rewatch it, but actually relive that moment, it would be watching Lewis get pole. Going from some of the happier news to some of the not so happy news in 2023, Alpha Tauri's driver problem was immense. They had a lineup of Yuki Tsunoda and Nick DeVries at the start of the 2023 season. Yuki has been there for a while, Red Bull Junior, Honda Dream Driver. But Nick DeVries was the rookie in the car next to Yuki Tsunoda. But he was coming in with a lot of experience, a Formula E champion, had driven in WEC, was an F2 champion had already driven a Formula 1 car in an F1 race out in Monza and managed to get points on his debut. And that is really why AlphaTauri ended up signing him after Pierre Gasly left for Alpine. I think Red Bull and AlphaTauri were sort of looking at Nick DeVries thinking, yes, we've lost a really strong driver in Pierre Gasly, but Nick DeVries seems like he is going to be a strong driver. Looking at his track record, yeah, of course he should do a really good job here. But the series that Nick DeVries has been in beforehand are still different. Even though Formula E is a single-seater racing series, the way that the car handles is very different to Formula 1. And I think that adjustment, it wasn't quick enough for AlphaTauri and Red Bull. They wanted results a lot quicker from him. And I think because he had come in with experience and because he was that little bit older, I think he's 26, they were hoping that all of that adjustment period would happen in the first race or two and then he would be fine. He would be flying. 
matching Yuki Tsunoda, beating Yuki Tsunoda. And that wasn't the case. He was really, really struggling in the car and Yuki was doing a far better job than him. And I think the patience from Red Bull and AlphaTauri was just running out with Nick. And we had heard so many rumours about them potentially wanting to drop Nick mid-season. They were floating around for ages. We got told, yeah, if he doesn't perform after this race or this race or this race... And eventually what happened was that after the British Grand Prix, that Tuesday after the British Grand Prix, Nick DeVries ended up losing his seat. And this, I think, was the same day that Daniel Ricciardo was doing some car testing for Red Bull. And I think we knew, really, or at least I knew if Nick DeVries was going to be dropped, it would be for Daniel Ricciardo. He had joined the team after being dropped from McLaren as their third driver. And I think there was a big want from Christian Horner, at least, to get Daniel Ricciardo back in a Formula 1 car within the Red Bull family. I don't think Christian really wanted him to leave Red Bull again. And Daniel, you could tell, really did not want to leave the Red Bull family again for a seat. And there were rumours, I think, where they were comparing Yuki Tsunoda's sim data, Daniel Ricciardo's sim data, and Nick DeVries' sim data. And Nick just wasn't able to keep up with the data that Daniel and Yuki were showing. So yeah, British Grand Prix, the Tuesday after that, he was dropped. I honestly thought if they were going to drop Nick mid-season, it would be during summer break. Nope. I think it was a race before summer break. It was Hungarian Grand Prix that Daniel Ricciardo ended up stepping into the AlphaTauri. So they just didn't want to wait. I think they knew the decision they were going to make and just wanted to make that quickly. But yeah, Daniel Ricciardo became an AlphaTauri driver in the middle of the season, having not been in an F1 car for half of the season so far. Drove in the Hungarian Grand Prix, drove in the Belgian Grand Prix. Summer break happened and then went out for practice at the Dutch Grand Prix and ended up breaking a metacarpal during a Friday practice session when he was avoiding colliding with Oscar Piastri and went into a barrier. Was really probably not the routine that he wanted, I think. Alpha Taro, Red Bull and Daniel Ricciardo just wanted him to have a good long run in the car for the rest of the season. But he had to take some time off to go and recover. And so Red Bull ended up having to pull Liam Lawson into the Alpha Taro seat. So that was their third driver next to Yuki Tsunoda in the 2023 season. He was driving in Super Formula, still managed to finish out his season there. But yep, got pulled as a reserve driver to drive in the Alpha Taro for, I think, five races it was did a phenomenal job and then Daniel Ricciardo ended up coming back into the seat and finishing out the season after he recovered but that entire AlphaTauri driver saga was insane and I get it Nick wasn't performing to the level that AlphaTauri and Red Bull were expecting him to but I think on a really human level you can feel for Nick DeVries Formula One is something that he has been dreaming of for so long and to have that dream cut short it's gotta hurt and it's gotta take a little while to get over but he is confirmed to be back in Formula E full time now from the 2023-2024 season and he is also driving in the World Endurance Championships so thankfully he has landed back on his feet he's not moving away from motorsport entirely but yeah I just think as much as I can understand the sporting side of it I think we also have to just remember there is a human that was in that car that had feelings and hopes and dreams and we can still feel for them at the same time. Nick DeBrace has not been the only Red Bull associated driver that has struggled in 2023, though I think it's fair to say that Sergio Perez has not had the best season. Which is crazy when he has actually finished in his highest standing in the driver championship. He got P2, it's a Red Bull 1-2 in the drivers. 
crazy then to say that this has not been an amazing season for him, but it has been a messy, inconsistent year. The finishing P2 is brilliant. I am so happy that he has managed to achieve that. But there were, what, five races in a row where he wasn't able to make a Q3 appearance. But there were also multiple times in the year without that run of bad luck that he also hasn't made it into Q3. Wasn't really able to go toe-to-toe with Max Verstappen. He had members of the team in Helmut Marco making comments about him and his driving ability. I think it's been a tough old year for Sergio Perez to find his form to sort of be at one with the car in the way that Max Verstappen is and it's got to be hard when Max is your teammate to try and measure up to that and there have been so many rumours about Red Bull wanting to drop him about his contract being cut short about Sergio retiring there's been so much out there in the media and when you're battling with your form not being where you want it to be not being where your team wants it to be And then having all of the media attention on you, seeing all of these things about you losing your seat potentially, that can't help matters at all. But yeah, I think for Sujo, it's just been inconsistency. There have been really good drives from him. And I think the end of the season really helped him finish on a high. He seemed to have found setups in the car that made him more comfortable. So he was able to extract so much more from it. And I hope that is something now that we see carrying on into 2024. But 2023, I mean, yeah, it's been a hard year for him. A lot of inconsistency, especially with a car that is that dominant. And it's what I've said before in previous podcast episodes. I think that's why so many people have made comment on his driving ability this year is because that car is so dominant and he's not been making Red Bull one choose with Max. And I think in a year where Red Bull have been this dominant and the car has been so, so quick compared to the rest of the field, The fact we haven't seen more Red Bull 1-2s is quite shocking to me. But yeah, he was hoping that 2024 is better for Sergio, that he's found setups and just things with the car that make him feel more comfortable and just figured out how he can best drive it compared to how Max drives it. And he can just carry on this good building form that he's had at the end of 2023. Moving away from Red Bull and Red Bull Associated Drivers a little bit, we had Charles Leclerc getting an amazing amount of posts during 2023. He really had amazing Saturdays and I think he's a driver that we know just very, very well on one lap pace. He's very, very quick, can extract the most out of the Ferrari when he needs to, when it's crunch time but they're not being able to convert them into wins on the Sunday. And there was so much media attention. And this is why it came up in one of the moments I wanted to talk about in 2023, because there was a lot of talk in the media about the fact he couldn't convert it on a Sunday, that maybe he can only really drive on a Saturday and get one lap pace out, but he can't really drive during a race. And I think we have to sit there and also say that the Ferrari is not a great race car. It's an amazing qualifying car. And you've seen that with both of their drivers. But their race pace hasn't always been great. And whether that's because of cooling or tyre wear or whatever else, the Ferrari has had issues on a Sunday. And also strategy. Yes, strategy has been a massive issue with Ferrari this season. So I don't think it's fair to fully blame Charles for not being able to convert those pole positions. On top of the fact that, yeah, the Red Bull car is dominant on a Sunday. I don't know. That car is literally running on the Red Bull energy drink the way that it goes. So... I don't think it's completely fair for us to blame Charles on not converting those pole positions. I really hope that Ferrari have figured out why sometimes on a race day that car isn't able to pull together the race pace that it needs to really maximise on what they did during qualifying. 
because I think both of their drivers, Charles and Carlos, phenomenal job on a Saturday. And I think they could perform on a Sunday if the car is underneath them to do it. Staying on the topic of Ferrari for a moment. And this was my, I don't know if I'd call it my favourite moment. It was definitely my biggest WTF moment of this season was the very first race weekend of 2023 out in Bahrain. And I'm not talking about the Sunday, guys. I'm talking about the Saturday during qualifying. Now, for those of you that don't know, I have an older sister who is a massive Ferrari fan. And she watches Formula One with me. She is part of the Tifosi, absolutely adores Ferrari. And I said to her before the season started this year, I really wonder how many times Ferrari is going to make you cry. Happy tears or sad tears, right? I really wonder how many times Ferrari is going to make you cry. And I didn't expect it to happen during Q1 of the first qualifying session of the season. I think at this point, Ferrari had only gone out on their very first runs. Everyone had just completed one run during Q1. And both of the Ferraris were technically in the elimination zone. And she already looked like she was going to cry because she thought they were going to get knocked out of Q1. Hadn't even managed to do a second lap yet. Nobody had. And she already looked like she was going to cry. I am begging Ferrari not to have this happen again. I was not expecting her to nearly cry that quickly into the season. We didn't even get to a Grand Prix on Sunday and she looked like she was about to cry. So the goal is for the 2024 season that we go longer than Q1 during the Bahrain Grand Prix before she ends up crying over Ferrari. And I will keep you guys updated on that one. Looking at the season as a whole, though, I mean, we are finishing 2023 season going in with the exact same grid into 2024. That hasn't happened before. This is the first time we are having the exact same driver lineup. No one is switching teams. No rookies on the grid. Every single driver is the same in the same team. That is insanity to me. But that's not to say that we don't have departing people in 2024. Franz Tost is leaving AlphaTauri and retiring. He joined F1 with Ralph Schumacher in the Williams in 2000, became a TP with AlphaTauri, which was then Toro Rosso in 2005. But he has opted to step back now and retire and just step away from Formula One. But over his time in Formula One, I mean, he's looked after and helped grow so many Red Bull juniors. He's seen so many drivers through the ranks. He's seen race wins with his teams. And by the sounds of it, I mean, all the drivers that he has worked with are very, very grateful for what he has done for them when they've worked with him. So I'm sure he is going to be someone that a lot of the drivers do miss seeing around the paddock and a lot of the personnel miss seeing. But I feel like this almost ushers in a new era for Red Bull and AlphaTauri as AlphaTauri are changing their name next year, having a closer relationship with Red Bull. And as those changes happen, I think Franz Toss kind of maybe thought it was time to step back. So I think that's the only real big departure that we're getting from the grid because it's not any other drivers. I think, though, this year, looking at the racing and the teams, as the year progressed, we were slowly seeing teams catch up with Red Bull. I mean, look, they're not neck and neck with Red Bull, but it's getting closer a little bit. And I think we mainly saw that with McLaren. McLaren seemed to be breathing down Red Bull's necks a little bit more than any other team has managed to. Even Aston Martin at the beginning of the season, I don't think we're that close to Red Bull as what McLaren are finishing the season. And hopefully what we're seeing now is the fields slowly starting to close up. 2024 will be the 
third year of these new regulations. So you're hoping that teams have begun to figure out what's working, what's not, what's a good concept, what isn't, what they just need to put in the bin and leave alone and never ever touch again. Hopefully that is going to be the case. I mean, obviously, the field closing up also depends on the development jumps that Red Bull themselves make and the decisions that they make in that development. But I think seeing the way McLaren was slowly closing up does give hope. I couldn't tell you about the other teams. I don't know what's going to happen. Aston Martin seem to be a little bit more back on track with their car concept and development now, right at the end of the season, because it went a little bit awry during the middle of the season. They added upgrades to the car that just didn't work, but they seem to be back on track. Ferrari are slowly figuring out their problems in terms of tyre wear. They were figuring that out in the middle of the season. Mercedes apparently are just throwing everything in the bin and starting with everything being brand new according to Total Wolf. So that could go one of two ways. Could be great. Could lead us to another car that is another diva and that the drivers don't enjoy driving. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I feel like even though, yes, this was Red Bull dominance this season, we are seeing teams make those big development jumps. McLaren, AlphaTauri making big big jumps with their upgrade packages, seemingly understanding the regulations more. And hopefully that's a good sign that other teams are doing the same. And before we get on to what your guys' favourite moments and things like that, we're 22 races this season. We're going for 24 in 2024. But yeah, 22 races. For me, it felt like a lot of races. And that's from someone that isn't travelling to them, isn't working on the car, isn't driving the actual races on top of the sprints. We saw drivers starting to get unwell towards the end of the season, which I think is an impact of the amount of time that they're spending on the road. That's not including if any of the engineers and mechanics are feeling that as well. It's a lot of time away from family and loved ones. I think it's just about finding a good balance between entertainment and the humanness of this sport. There's so many people that work behind the scenes, not just the drivers. And I think it's important to remember the impact that having such a long calendar is having on them as well, not just the drivers. But we are going for 24 races next season. I think the Concord Agreement said that there would only be a maximum of 24 races, but I'm pretty sure I've seen articles where Stefano Domenicali has already suggested going for more. I think a lot of the drivers are saying this is the limit, though 24 feels like it should be the limit. We shouldn't be pushing that anymore. Max Verstappen has been very vocal about that. He is someone that says, yeah, I don't think we need to be having any more than that. I think a lot of the team principals are feeling it as well. But yeah, 22 did feel like a lot. So we'll wait and see how 24 go next year. Talking about some of your favourite moments from this season, though. So the ones that I've already mentioned have included Lewis's hungry pole position. I think that's the only one that I've mentioned. So let's have a look at what else you guys have said. So someone said the Monaco rain disaster. And yeah, this was a mess. The Monaco GP was a little bit messy when the rain started. So it only started raining in the middle of the race. We had that double stack from Ferrari that I don't think the drivers were too happy with. Carlos Sainz had spun. I think Stroll had also ended up having damage because of the wet conditions. We had Max Verstappen while he was still on the slick tyres grazing a wall. Kevin Magnussen ended up crashing and having damage to his front wings. We had Logan Sargent end up crashing at the hairpin. Kevin Magnussen, once again, after the car was repaired, ended up going off on the roads. Lance Stroll went into an escape road. George Russell went into an escape road, ended up being hit by Sergio Perez. Nico Hulkenberg was given a 10-second time penalty after he hadn't served his first penalty correctly. 
Pierre Gasly had a black and white flag for exceeding track limits. Yeah, it was a messy race. When the rain started, I forgot how much had actually happened. And the Kevin Magnussen stuff was insane because he had gone into the pits after crashing that first time and his front wing was sort of lodged and wedged under his car and they just weren't ready for him. So yeah, that was definitely a messy race. I'm going to have to rewatch that one at some point, I think. Someone else mentioned Liam Lawson in Q3. This was the third race of his Formula One career, his third of five. And to get into Q3 in the Alpha Tauri was absolutely amazing. And I think the entire time he was subbing in for Daniel Ricciardo, he really showed his potential and what it could be like if he was in Formula One. So I'm gutted that he hasn't gotten a full-time seat for 2024. But I don't think Red Bull are going to want to let him go. So I honestly, honestly think by 2025, he will be a full-time Formula One driver. And he is a driver I cannot wait to watch. He is going to be such a massive asset to Red Bull. They're not going to want to let him go. And by the sounds of it, Liam Lawson is really dedicated and committed to that team. Someone else mentioned Oscar Piastri's sprint race win. And yes, how did I forget about this? I was so excited for him. Won the sprint race out in Qatar. And yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal outcome for him. I mean, I know it's technically not classified as a race according to the FIA. It's just a sprint. But to get a win in your rookie season is absolutely amazing. I can't imagine what a boost that must have done to his confidence and just his driving ability and everything. But it was just phenomenal to see. And I've loved watching Oscar drive this season. I just think he is a driver that's going to have a phenomenal career in Formula One. He's going into year two now next year. And I think he would have learnt and taken on so much during his rookie year. I think the only way is up for him, really. And I think year two for him in that McLaren, hopefully we will see him going more head to head with Lando Norris and sort of matching what Lando is able to do. Someone else put down the disqualification for Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc in Cota as their favourite moment. I can't say this was a favourite moment for me because I do like both of those drivers. But what was great was the joint post they ended up posting onto Instagram afterwards. To be fair, look, it was gutting for those drivers and for fans of theirs, but completely understandable why it had to happen. Regulations and rules are there for a reason. The cars broke the regulations. And yeah, sadly, it did mean a disqualification at Cota. Looking at controversial moments now, we have... Cutter and Vegas mentioned here by people, which I have already mentioned, and yeah, they were massively controversial moments for me and probably the biggest controversial moments for me. And also the AlphaTauri driver drama, someone put down as controversial. So yes, ones that we have discussed, and yeah, they were messy, messy times. Uh, the other two people have mentioned, so the first one was Lewis and George's crash at Qatar. And yeah, this is one I nearly forgot about as well. And I think there was just so much going on during the Qatar Grand Prix that I almost forgot that, yeah, they crashed out at turn one and Lewis had to retire. I feel like the controversy here, though, ended up happening more in the media because a lot of people thought we were going to get a repeat of what happened between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton during their time with Mercedes. But to be fair, Lewis came out after, you know, he'd gotten back to the media pen and said, yeah, I'll put my hands up. It was my fault. Should have been more careful. And that was it. You know, I don't think in that respect, it was majorly controversial. I think it was an opportunistic move from Lewis who realised, yep, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, I don't think other than that, it was majorly, majorly controversial. I think had both of them carried on playing that blame game in the media with each other and being like, no, it was his fault. It was his fault. Yeah, then I would have seen a bit more controversy in it. And I don't think it was ill-intentioned either. And I think that was it really for both of them. The second thing, though, 
was, yeah, Czech was spinning Alex Albert out of the points in Singapore. And someone saying, yeah, this was my Roman Empire. So I had to double check with this one and Google it. But yes, lap 58, Sergio Perez ended up trying a move that was a very big risk, very opportunistic. Hit Alex Alban, who was running in P10 at that point. Alex Alban afterwards said, yeah, I think we could have been on for P8 before that. Perez caught a five-second time penalty, which did not change his finishing position. I think the thing is with Sergio Perez this year, and I think it's because his form has not been brilliant, he has made quite a lot of opportunistic moves like this, where he goes in for a move that you wouldn't necessarily take and has ended up spinning another driver because of it. And oftentimes down the radio, he likes to say, what were they doing? Why did they do that? They hit me. And yeah, you do kind of look at Sergio Perez in those moments. Like, you didn't necessarily have to make that move right there. And I think the Alex and Sergio one is always interesting because the Red Bull has the quicker car compared to the Williams. The Williams is a much improved car this year, but it's still no match for the Red Bull. And looking at the WTF moments that you guys had for this season, a majority of these I don't have. The ones that I do are Nick DeVries being dropped mid-season, which I have mentioned, and then also Perez consistently not getting into Q3 and Las Vegas. So we have those ones. The other ones you guys have mentioned, top one was Austria's track limits. And yeah, this was insane. There were 1,200 instances of track limit infringements that had to be reviewed by the stewards. We didn't get a final grid classification for nearly five hours after the race had finished. That's how long it took to confirm those track limit infringements. There were 83 confirmed breaches of the track limits. Uh, It was just insane. And there were a couple of drivers that ended up suffering penalties because of that. Carlos Sainz, who went from 4th to 6th place. Lewis Hamilton, 7th to 8th. Pierre Gasly, 9th to 10th. Esteban Ocon, 12th to 14th. Nick DeVries, 15th to 17th. And Yuki Tsunoda, 18th to 19th. All because of track limits at Austria. Esteban Ocon, yeah, I felt so bad for him. After Austria, he had 30 seconds worth of penalties, two five seconds and two 10 second penalties because of his track infringements. It was ridiculous the amount of times we saw people getting called up for it. We heard commentators mention it. I mean, to wait nearly five hours for the final race classification is insane. And these aren't rookie drivers, you know. We had three rookie drivers on the grid and the rest of them are very very experienced so the fact that track limits with that much of an issue I think is more something that the FIA need to look into in where they are putting their track limits more than a driver error which I do think the FIA are planning to look into because George Russell and Zhou Guan Yu were the only two drivers that did not get noted for a track infringement two out of the 20 drivers so yeah definitely something that needs to be looked into Someone else mentioned the Australia standing start, and yes, I do agree. That was a bit of a WTF moment, because I think we were all wondering why there was a standing start. It made a lot of us wonder why, after so many incidents, you would just keep going back to a standing start. A rolling start, especially towards the end of the race, just seemed to make more sense. Because, yeah, we've had races end behind a safety car at times. Now, suddenly, it was like, no, we don't want to end it behind a safety car. It's going to be a standing start. So I think a lot of people are like, procedures really need to be put into place. And rules about when are we doing standing starts and when is it not worth it? We just finish a race behind a safety car to avoid any more collisions because it was just causing more accidents. And those accidents cost teams so much money. Someone else's WTF moment was just Ferrari. 
I mean, their strategy this season has been interesting. We still have their drivers running strategy. Carlos Sainz specifically seems to be running his strategy. Once again, we hope that it is something that gets sorted out next year. No one breaking the cost cap. Yeah, we had all of the news come out about the cost caps and every single team in 2022 managed to keep within the cost cap. I think the thing is, the teams know it's not worth going over the cost cap. Because, okay, yeah, some people might think the penalties aren't that bad, but the amount of bad PR that it can give you is not worth it. And I feel like after everything that happened with Red Bull, the FIA would probably end up clamping down a little bit harder if it happened again. So yeah, no team broke the cost cap this season. Liam Lawson not getting a seat, which I agree with. That was a big WTF moment. AlphaTauri wanted to retain Daniel Ricciardo in their lineup for next year, which is completely understandable. But yeah, for Liam Lawson not to get a seat anywhere, considering the form that he had shown all the five races. I do also understand though, because Liam Lawson has said that if he was going to join F1, he wants it to be with Red Bull. They're a team that has supported him for so many years now. That's the only way he sees himself joining Formula One. So he wasn't willing to really move anywhere else, even if there was a seat available. And let's be honest, 2023, there were not a lot of seats that were available. And someone mentioned this, and this has to actually be my favourite WTF moment of the season. The Fernando Alonso and Taylor Swift dating rumours. I don't know how they started, where they came from, but it was such a beautiful time in Formula 1 because Fernando Alonso would neither confirm nor deny whether he was dating Taylor Swift. He was loving playing up to this. Such a weird moment in Formula 1, but yet it has to be a season highlight, surely. Especially a season highlight that happened off track. And finally, to finish off this episode, we are just going to have a quick look at what our predictions were at the beginning of the season. Now, the majority of people thought that Mercedes were going to win the Constructors' Championship. I think we all had way too much faith in the Mercedes' development over the winter break in 2022 to 2023. But the second team were Red Bull, who, yes, did win the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes in P2, Ferrari in P3. Following on from that, I think, yeah, because people thought Mercedes were going to win the Constructors, Lewis would win the Drivers. And then after that, it was Max Verstappen, who did win his third consecutive title in Formula One. A lot of people had hoped for Charles Leclerc as well. Just over 27% of you thought that Charles Leclerc would win the World Championship title this year. Potentially might happen next year, Ferrari match to sort out what's going on. But I just feel like it's going to be more of a battle between Red Bull and McLaren. Who's coming last in the Constructors' Championship? Wow, were we wrong. Because I also thought it was going to be Williams. Nearly half of us thought it was going to be Williams, who actually finished in P7. Haas were the ones that finished in last place, which is what the second most voted for team was. 36, nearly 36% of you guys thought it was going to be Haas. But yeah, we got it really wrong with Williams. Wow, we did not have faith. Who's coming last in the Drivers' Championship? We were correct with it being Logan Sargent. After that, people thought it was going to be Nico Hulkenberg, who actually managed to outscore his teammate. He had a very, very good season. I think people are just wondering what his season would be like after having so much time off of Formula 1. It wasn't just a year. It'd been, I think, three years since he'd been in a Formula 1 seat but did really, really well with Haas this season. And considering the car that both Kevin and Nico had, yeah, he has done really well, but... We were right in thinking Logan Sargent would be in last place. Rookie of the year. Well, we had hoped that Nick DeVries in the Alcatarri was going to have a really, really good season. And that did not materialise. He got dropped midway through the season, but 
Yeah, I think this was one that, looking at how he did in Monza in 2022, looking at his general track record in racing, yeah, I mean, I definitely thought he was going to probably be the top scoring rookie this year. But yeah, instead, Oscar Piastri just blew every single rookie out of the water. And yes, the McLaren was a very good car. It was better than the AlphaTauri and the Williams. But, you know, there were moments this season, I think, where Oscar Piastri really showed how good of a driver he was and to take a sprint win in Qatar I think really just showed the potential that guy has. Driver with the most pole positions for the season you guys voted for Charles Leclerc and it wasn't it was Max Verstappen but Charles Leclerc was in second place and with a Ferrari that was not the quickest car and at times not even the second quickest car I think the amount of pole positions that he has managed to take this season was still an incredible incredible feat. Driver with the most penalty points at the end of the season, and considering how Pierre Gasly was not far from a race fan at the beginning of the season, we thought it would still be him, but it was not. Lance Stroll currently has the most amount of penalty points this season, with seven. Pierre Gasly is actually second with five. Penalty points in general seem to be quite low. The fact that seven is our highest, I mean, you're still a little bit off of getting a racing ban, so it's not been that bad this season. Drivers retiring or leaving at the end of the season, we thought Nico Hülkenberg, then Fernando Alonso, and then Sergio Perez, and none of them are leaving. Not a single one of the drivers on the grid are leaving or retiring this season. Fernando Alonso, I thought, might have, because 2022 Aston Martin was not great. But I think the way their form has gone this year, I don't think Fernando Alonso is going to want to leave anytime soon. They're giving him a car that is probably one of the best cars that he's had in a good couple of years. And I think he's excited to keep working with them. The team loves him. He seems to love the team and gelled really well with them. So yeah, no drivers leaving. We were all wrong there. Yeah, another pointless question. Drivers moving teams to 2024. We thought Sergio Perez, Alex Albon, Yuki Tsunoda, nobody is changing their teams. Next year, definitely going to have a lot of movement potentially we'll have people leaving because there are a lot of contracts expiring at the end of 2024 but yet nothing this year not a single thing it still weirds me out that we have an unchanged grid for next year who is most likely to get their first win this season i mean technically nobody got their first grand prix win this season oscar piastri has his first win a sprint win but we thought it was going to be Lando Norris and there have been occasions where he has been close but he is still waiting on his first Grand Prix win and those were the main set of predictions for this season so we weren't doing too well on them guys that is a form that will be going out early next year again so we can try and get our predictions back in and maybe get closer to them but yeah insane the silly season sort of prediction ones where we have nobody moving we didn't have a new grand prix winner this season nobody retiring got the constructors and wdc winners wrong I think the only one we were actually fully cracked with was who was coming last in the drivers. So I hope we get them better next year, guys. But yeah, keep an eye out on my socials in January. I will have another Google form out so we can fill that one in and you guys can let me know what you think will happen in 2024. But that ends part one of my season review. Next Tuesday at 9am, we're going to be having a chat about how the team's season has gone, how the driver head-to-heads were looking by the time we got to Abu Dhabi, and also how each individual driver has been and what their season has been like. So make sure you stick around for that next week. And then after that, I will be on winter break. The steward's office will be closing for two weeks while I rest and recoup. 
Thank you guys so, so much for listening and Dielkan Bar. Make sure to give this podcast a five-star review if you've enjoyed it. It really does mean the world to me. And I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office. Thank you.